Communication Air. Welcome to episode 38 of the Communication Air podcast, the community patch notes episode of the state of Triple A gaming. Now, before we get into it, we have a very special guest where I, one of the people that I get my game recommendations from all the time. If you have a Nintendo Switch and you want to know what games to play, we have All In Eric from the All In podcast. Welcome. How are you? I'm doing very well, gentlemen. Thank you so much for the invite. Very happy to be hanging out. Uh, Jeezy, you've been on our show before. John, we, we got to get you on, Johnny. We, uh, were, we on, we were on together. Me and Cheesy were on. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Johnny that's right. was only there because I got invited. <laughs> that's all right. I forget. Well, <laughs> we, 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 what we I'm talking about Mario we got to get you on by yourself. Yeah, then, then I could really shine. I'm not being <laughs> held back by cheesy. Hey, Amen. Yeah. I mean, he's got the third best beard here, so I mean <laughs> It's well, true. I don't I really once again, thank you guys this... so much for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Come to hang out. There's a lot to talk about tonight. Yeah, thanks for uh thanks for coming on. Uh now before we get into everything, make sure uh we'll make sh- I don't even know what I'm doing. But uh we like to have the guests introduce themselves, tell us a little bit about what you do on the internet, and uh, all that fun stuff. Yeah, yeah how did, how did all in how did all in podcasts get started? And and you and Seth, like how did how did that collaboration start? Well, like you said, uh, I'm Eric with All In, a Nintendo podcast where me and my amazing co-host Seth every week uh, put out a, a nice chunky like two and a half three-hour show all about the world of the big in we do weekly indie showcases we frequently have uh, independent developers on or other creators within the nintendo landscape to come and talk about their amazing creations we do reviews we do retrospectives we do top fives we do all kinds of stuff on our wonderful weekly variety podcast we're also on youtube we're always making new content always staying busy but go ahead and give us a shout out at again all in podcast but to answer your question cheesy about how seth and i got started uh, a lot of the people who have listened to our show our main show uh, know this already but i was actually a television broadcaster in the military for seven years and i happened to be stationed down at L- lovely <clears throat> sorry every time i try to compliment fort polk it just kind of <laughs> comes out like that every time i you know i was stationed down at L- lovely fort polk louisiana uh, and that was where I met my co-host at the time, uh, Seth Sturgill. He was actually working at GameStop, and we just met. We we immediately clicked, and years later, we would eventually start this wonderful Nintendo content creation journey together. Again, All In, a Nintendo podcast, at All In on Facebook, on Twitter, uh, at All In Media on YouTube. So if you like the big in, if you like playing video games, if you like having a nice, fun, positive community to be a part of, we'd love for you to come over and be a part of ours. Yeah, I was, not, I was not kidding about getting all my game recommendations from the All In podcast. Uh, my most recent one is probably Cobalt, Cobalt Core, if I'm saying that right. It's a fantastic yeah, That was our indie showcase from the most previous episode, episode 188, if you want to check it out. Fantastic little deck building, space shooter, roguelike. It's amazing. Yeah, and I mean, I, there's countless ones. I, I think I got 30XX, uh, Shotgun King, uh, the 
the one that just came out from a two E. I forget what the Rogue. Uh, Oh, Rogue the Rogue Dungeon? Dungeon? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Rogue Dungeon. I picked that up. That's pretty fun as well. <laughs> the Qbert roguelike? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh... Yeah, so if you want any, any recommendations, just go to All In Podcast. It's true. I mean, just, like, the credibility that you guys have, and, and not only that, but just, like, the love that you have for video games and, and indie games specifically I, I just don't really think that we get enough talk on indie games and, and that you invite indie developers on your show. Yeah. Like, that's huge. Yeah. I've been doing this for a very long time. I've been playing games pretty consistently since I was four years old, which, I mean, if you're watching the video of this right now, you can tell that is a very long time. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I grew up on the, the – I was I was there at the early days of the original NES, and I have been a, a very passionate lifelong gamer since then and uh, we're just trying to spread the love trying to spread the history trying to spread the good word of gaming throughout the world and trying to be positive while we're doing it yeah we need more of that for sure um but when you have a show with johnny on it that doesn't happen <laughs> a lot so is that a pot shot i was all right so i was in a good mood today i was in a really good mood today because mm. the cowboys got blown out yesterday they but did. now it has come full circle and the Eagles are sucking. Mm. Yeah, so, well, I'm a Tennessee Titans fan, so we didn't even make it to the postseason. And honestly, the next few years of, of our franchise is not looking too great. But, yeah, the Eagles up into week 12 were essentially looking like they were unstoppable. And then something, somehow, somewhere, some why – the franchise just fell off a cliff. And and I, this, like, I right have an now, A.J. Brown jersey. I love A.J. Brown. <laughs> Jalen Hurts was looking really good earlier on in the year. There was a lot to be excited about when it came to the Eagles franchise. And then they were just like, you know what? We'd rather sit at home. Yeah. I, at this point, I'd rather them not made the playoffs because they would have had a better pick in the draft. And now it's just like another wasted season. You don't, you don't very often see a safety in the playoffs. That's all I'm yeah. saying. Uh, I mean, a big problem is their coaching, but that is not for this podcast. <laughs> I'm making all an I'm Eagles podcast. I'm making you, a, Johnny. I'm just there for you. I get well, thank it. you. I'm making an Eagles or an all Philly podcast where we could all just feel the pain together of all Philly sports because it happens every year for every sport. All right. Anyway. But uh, before we get into this, we like to do some server maintenance. And what do we got? We have surpassed 6,000 total plays, audio listens, uh, on all audio platforms. So that is awesome. Thank you for everybody that listens on those platforms. And if you are listening on those platforms, make sure you drop reviews. We, I think we got another five-star on Spotify. And then we did get another review on Apple. And I don't know. I think we actually got two. But I only oh, see we? one. I only see one new one. Hmm. Uh, this one's from Runic Bread, five five six seven zero. Says good conversations, five stars. I love video games. I definitely binge this podcast regularly. Highly recommend that newcomers do too. They binge this podcast. I'm sorry. 
for <laughs> what you have to hear me say over and yeah. over and over again. That's got to be like so much Advil that that person is taking. <laughs> just Tums. And... and their name is Runic Bread, too. So I just imagine they're just like gorging on bread yeah. while they're binging the show the entire time. Yep. So it's just like, you know, fattening the mind and the body at the same time. <laughs> exactly. So that's from Runic Bread, but uh, no less guy said that he left the five star. I just maybe that is no less guy. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, but anyway, leave a five star again if you haven't already. Uh, and then the other thing, we did get a question on Spotify from Rival06. Do you have a Discord server? If so, how do I join it? Well, there is a Discord server, and you can check the show notes. There's a link to it. Uh, YouTube makes it easy. I think you just click on the link in YouTube. But, uh, yeah. And then we're getting close to 200 subs on YouTube. Nice. Yeah, it's awesome. Well, thank you, sure. guys. Um, but I think before we get into our topic at hand, it's a question that we were asking everybody. I'm actually kind of nervous tonight because I think I already know the answer. Is it Super Mario Bros. 3 or Super Mario World? What's your answer? Super Mario World. Oh my oh, god, what is oh happening? My god. See, now, I love this. Every time I think someone's gonna say Super Mario Bros. 3, and I just I lower my expectations, and then they say Super Mario Bros. World, and I get all excited, and Johnny's mad again, and this is the best day ever. <laughs> well, see, here's the thing. Me preferring me preferring objectively one of the greatest platform uh, platformers ever made is not me also saying that I think that Super Mario Bros. 3 is trash. That is far from what I'm saying. Super right. Mario Brothers 3 is likewise one of the best platformers ever made. The one thing for me that tips it over the edge is with everything that's packed into Super Mario Brothers 3, a lot of people don't realize this when they're actually playing through the game, but those levels are like 10 seconds long just because there's so many of them. Those levels are ridiculously short, except for like some of the auto scrollers. So that's, that's what I like about it. What... That's what I like about it. It's like, it's like a speed running thing. It feels <laughs> much better to speed run it. And if you like that aspect of it, you know, more power to you. But I, I like a little bit more meat on my bones with the Mario brothers three levels. I feel like I'm just getting into them by the time I see the curtain. So, but that's that's the one thing. Not to say that I still wouldn't absolutely play Super mm -hmm. Mario Brothers three if I had it in front of me right now, a thousand percent would. But that's also me saying that I think Super Mario World is the best two D platformer of all time. So, you know, it, wow. really, when it comes to other examples of the genre, you're not quite going to stand up. But Super Mario World for me. There you go, Johnny. Mark it. Yeah, I gotta stop marking it. I thought in 2024 it was gonna be different answers. Guess not. I mean, like you said, Eric, at the beginning of the show, we did come on to the All In podcast to talk about Mario Wonder, and I think that was one of your big like uh, critiques of it is that it was just too short and that there wasn't enough to keep the game going. Yeah, the thing with Mario Wonder is we recently, relatively recently, gotten Super Mario 3D World as, uh, you know, Super Mario 3D World plus Bowser's Fury. Mm -hmm. And when I have the Mario game with by far the most robust amount of post-game content, mm -hmm. and, you know, 
recently in my memory. I don't know. I just next to that. No, I again Mario Wonder is is really really good, but there are better Mario platformers on the Nintendo Switch. It's all so it's funny. It's funny that you said that because I actually loaded up uh, 3D World mm-hmm. this past weekend, um, and I had I beat the main story. I beat it mm-hmm. on Wii U, but I beat the main story, and then I played the uh, the first post credit world, yeah. and then there's another world after that and i know there i know there's at least one more i don't know how many more how many there are but i know there's one with like champions road and (laughs) yes yeah champions road is is another thing that's just that's a ridiculous level so um it actually took me oh man i'm trying to remember if i even beat it on the wii u that was one of the big things about playing it on the nintendo switch for me is i really wanted to go back and because the game actually keeps track of every character you've beaten it with. Mm -hmm. I did want to go back and fully check every single one of those blocks. I wanted to beat every stage with every character. So that meant kind of buckling down and really mastering champions road. How long did that take you? Uh, it's that patch of gray hair right there. That's how, it, that's how long it took I, I definitely, I definitely beat champions road on Wii U and I do have proof there is a video on my YouTube channel. So cheesy, don't say I didn't beat it because I did beat it. He's still going to say it. I mean, proof. yeah, right Right now you're just saying words. That, you know, we need proof. Just you check out my that. YouTube channel. You gotta, Subscribe to Johnny no, You got to post that link. No, you got to do the work for us. <laughs> anyway. All right. So this week's episode is about AAA gaming. Eric, what are your general thoughts on the state of AAA gaming right now? Okay, how long do you have? All right, <laughs> let's do this. In terms of the sustainability and the viability of the future of AAA gaming, I'll start by saying this. When it comes to sustainability specifically, we've been given a very objective answer to that question over the past couple of years within the industry. And that is for many AAA developers, that is a big fat no. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometime in the middle of 2023, the sheer number and frequency of the layoffs within the industry itself wound up becoming a story so much so that there's actually a website out there called Video Game Layoffs that keeps track of all of them because they keep happening. Throughout the course of 2022, there were uh, estimated 8,500 layoffs within the industry. In 2023, there were an estimated 10,500 layoffs within the industry. So if you're doing the math within the past two years, that's just under 20,000 jobs lost within the video games industry. And that has become or that has come as a direct result of so many of these developers, many of them AAA, discovering that it's not as viable and trying to continually chase that uh, that idea of a perfect game in today's market is just not financially viable, unfortunately. And so many people are paying with their jobs for these AAA developers to discover that. And it's really, really heartbreaking. Now, I say for most AAA developers, there are a couple out there, Nintendo being a big example, who have been able to just because of their sheer size, the sheer number of IP and the sheer number of teams they have working on stuff, they can sustain it 
because of the model that they have in place, because of the identity that they have set for themselves. Sega, Square Enix, Activision Blizzard, they probably couldn't do something like this. But one of the really interesting stories I thought that came out of 2023 was the fact that Nintendo delayed Tears of the Kingdom by a full year just to polish it just for tweaks and polish and, and game feel. Mm-hmm. Try to think of any other AAA game developer, game publisher that could get away with simply pushing a game back for an extra year, adding an entire extra year of game development budget on top of whatever they've already spent just to polish it up a little bit more. Yeah, Nintendo no. can do that, but most companies cannot. You had mentioned Activision, and I think they were supposed to skip a year for Call of Duty, and they decided not to. Well, Activision plays very deeply into this story as well, because uh, one of the big things is with this brand new PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X generation that we found ourselves in a couple of years, we've discovered that game budgets have ballooned immensely over the past half decade, one of the, the many things that came out last year from the, the acquisition, as we called it over at All In, the, uh, the massive acquisition of Xbox uh, acquiring Activision Blizzard, we actually got to see their books and we got to see some of the budgets for these games. You just mentioned Call of Duty. We got to see the budget for Call of Duty. We got to see the budgets for some of their AAA games. And we're talking 250 $300 million for individual titles. That is absolutely bonkers. Yeah. At yeah. 70 bucks a piece, if your game budget is $300 million, at 70 bucks a pop, you're going to have to sell upwards of 4 million units. And that's not taking into account shipping, marketing, taxes, anything like that. You need mm-hmm. to sell more than 4 million units just to break even. Let me ask you guys a question real quick. How many games, we'll go back to the PlayStation 4 and the Xbox One because those, uh, because that generation has already finished. How many games do you think on the PlayStation 4, based on the numbers, the sales numbers we have, that passed 4 million in sales? On the PlayStation 4 alone? On the PlayStation 4 alone. How many games, based on the sales numbers we were given, passed 4 million in sales? From Activision or, or just in general? Across the board, on the entire console. Oh, man. Maybe, 14. Maybe 14? And I'm assuming That's they're it. all exclusives, right? Like, well, most of them. And maybe, maybe Call of Duty. And on the Xbox One, that number drops to three. Whoa. Witcher 3, PUBG, Halo 5 Guardians. And PUBG wasn't even a, like a $70 game. Like that was a, no. I don't think it's Those are the only games on the Xbox One that surpassed $4 million in sales. So just very quickly taking these numbers that I've thrown out, this little paradigm that I've thrown out, say that Halo 5 Guardians budget, you know, this was an Xbox One game, not an Xbox Series X game. But just imagine if that game's budget were around 250 $3 million. It's one of the three best selling games on the console. And by those numbers, it would have just barely recouped its budget. That's that not is... sustainable. So uh, now, I just I just saw that Street Fighter 6 surpassed 3 million copies. Yes. Yeah, we're going to see a few. There are 
uh, outline factors. There are absolutely those games like God of War and uh, I think it was uh, God of War and uh, there was a, another one I was looking at on PlayStation 4 that actually sold upwards of 20 million. So you do have those games that are yeah, going to sell just a ridiculous amount. But even in the AAA space, the vast majority of games, you know, even in the AAA space, are not going to sell upwards of two or even three million. Bloodborne, as iconic and legendary a game as it's become, it only reached two million based on the sales numbers we were given. Mm. Now, there are a lot of mitigating factors in those numbers that I've given uh, that I've given you already, and I know a lot of people in the comments are already yelling at me, saying, "Well, Game Pass, you idiot! That's why a lot of those numbers are so much lower on the Xbox One." And yes, absolutely, you're a thousand percent right, because in this day and age, so many developers and so many publishers are having to look to more non-traditional profit methods in order to sustain their business, in order to cover development costs. And another big one that we always see is DLC and microtransactions. Those are big. Those are prevalent throughout the entire industry, and you'll they're basically guaranteed to show up in any AAA release at this point. Just thinking off the top of my head, I can't really think of a AAA game release that didn't include additional purchases. Mm. Um, Tears of the Kingdom. It, I was about to say a couple, a couple <laughs> Nintendo games, yes, but Odyssey. you know, for but yeah. Odyssey. <laughs> Most of the Nintendo first-party titles, yes, but on the PlayStation 4 and the Xbox Series 1 and the Series X, the vast majority of those games are going to include some type of additional transactions, some type of additional you know, ways that the company can still try to make money, because since the, honestly, since the early 90s, video games, brand new video games really haven't gone up in price that much. I paid $60 for a brand new video game back in the early 90s. No, so this idea of video games going to $70 and and people being incredibly outraged by that, I'm like, do you guys realize how lucky we are that they're just now going to $70 at this point? The amount of money being spent, the budgets being thrown at these games since the early 90s, I can only imagine how many hundreds of percentages that's gone up. The budget for a AAA game was probably just a couple million dollars in the early 90s, especially as the industry was finding its own foothold and, you know, game developers, game publishers were really finding their own identity. You know, now, again, we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars and many of these games coming out are still retailing for $60, that's not a sustainable business method. And again, that's why so many have gone to, you know, dealing with Xbox because somehow Xbox has literally all of the money and they're able to pay these developers and publishers to have their game appear on Game Pass or they have season pass or DLC cosmetics, microtransactions that they're able to sell. The problem with all of those are so many of those are are red flags for gamers. Like when they see microtransactions when they see video game storefronts when they see uh you know in-game currency it's a massive red flag for many people and i do get that i do get that 
But, you know, for a lot of these companies, it's it's trying to find new ways to cover costs because the overhead of game sales isn't doing that. That's one of the reasons that so few publishers, even AAA publishers, are even releasing physical copies of their games. Square Enix, very famously, really doesn't even do that anymore. And one of the big reasons that a lot of game developers and publishers are moving away from physical media because of how much it cuts into their costs and how much it cuts into their bottom line. It's it's incredibly interesting, this conversation, especially in the year 2024, because we are finding so many companies finding out in real time right around now that, oh, no, mm-hmm. we've been outpacing like the budgets and our our ideas and our visions for these games are very clearly outpacing our wallets and outpacing uh, basically gamers time in general. Uh, it was very interesting last year, specifically when Ubisoft came out and said uh, that, you know, we've looked at a lot of the Assassin's Creed games we've released over the past few years, and we're actually going to tone it back. We're actually, instead of these games being 100, 120 hours time sinks, instead, this new Assassin's Creed will be, you know, 30 hours to 100%. They have greatly scaled back the the size of their experience and because of that the budget that it took to create that experience because i think that's yet another factor at the triple a space is so many developers and so many publishers when they create a game everybody wants their game to be an event release everybody wants their their game release to be treated like it is the next Street Fighter, uh, like it is the next Tears of the Kingdom. They want to give players this epic, you see that word all the time, this epic level experience that people will remember for the rest of their lives. The problem is, is there's a large price tag associated with that when it comes to development costs. Nobody wants to give an inch, essentially, within this industry. Nobody wants to to admit defeat. Nobody wants... I, you know, I'm showing my age here. Everybody wants to rule the world, essentially. So you have all these developers all trying to make the greatest game of all time, the best game of the year, and their wallets just, they can't sustain that race any longer. And that's where so many of these layoffs are coming into play. Earlier today, before we recorded this, we just found out about the Halo Battle Royale that got canceled. Oh, so I didn't hear about that. Oh, you didn't hear about that? Yeah. Uh-uh. Yeah, there was an unannounced Halo Battle Royale that just got canceled again. You know, the budget fairy, you know, visiting AAA developers and mm-hmm. saying, yeah, you overextended yourself again this time, buddy. But it's, yeah. But all the causality of what happened in the 2010s, and especially with all these yearly releases like Assassin's Creed, like Call of Duty, a lot of those, you know, a lot of those hens are coming home to roost and a lot of those seeds being sown uh they they are they're reaping what they're sowing today and unfortunately a lot of incredibly talented developers within the industry are once again paying for it with their jobs so yeah, I, I, I think mean, it's, it's incredibly sad and and last week Johnny and I I don't know like we kind of ended on a I guess on a sad note, or I ended on a sad note because I said the gaming is a bubble. It's not going or I away. Think, I think that it is a bubble. Like, it, you know, it could pop. And then at, at what point, you know, is 
do we ever get back to what games were or is it like games are just oversaturated and you know we can't make these big budget games anymore um we had names jer comment on youtube saying i kind of agree with cheesy that it's all a bit scary gaming especially AAA, continues to be this weird uh predictor of where the economy in general is going as a whole we're seeing how gaming has been the catalyst for a lot of gross monetizations in other industries like BMW's heated seat subscriptions, which I didn't even know was a thing, or the Adobe Suite and Microsoft Office becoming subscriptions rather than programs you purchase. Eventually, everything will be subscriptions and microtransactions and we'll be owning nothing. Doom and gloom, gloom thinking aside, though, I still love a good, huge budget AAA blockbuster game like Spider-Man or God of War. While indie is where the innovation happens, I can't deny the feeling I get when you get one of those massive set pieces in AAA games. It can be really awesome and jaw-dropping. So yeah. then, how do you, how do you feel about games and being in a bubble? And sorry, Johnny, I keep cutting you off. No, that's fine. No, go ahead, Johnny. Uh, I was just gonna say, like uh, he he mentioned that. He likes games like Spider-Man 2, and we know this. We know this. The budget of Spider-Man 2 is like 315 million dollars, and yeah. I think I've said this before. I don't know where it was. Like, where is this 315 million dollars going? And uh, I think well, Nola's guy in the Discord yeah. showed about how much they spend on advertising, yep. and, uh, and just like movies, like you have a huge budget, and a lot of it is because of advertising. And it looks like video games are going to go the same way. So, you know, say the game costs $100 million to make, but then you spend in $200 million to advertise it. Um, that's, I don't know, I don't, that is not sustainable. And I think, you know, with Nintendo probably not going as powerful as PS5 and Xbox Series X, their budgets are going to stay relatively, they're not going to get as high as as. $300 million, I don't think. Nintendo's going to keep their budgets manageable. They're still going to be high, but Nintendo, Nintendo, I think, has found a very good rhythm that works for them. And again, they've got enough irons in the fire that, you know, they can, they can afford to take a little extra time with some of their more marquee titles. Like, they wouldn't do this with a Paper Mario game, but they would absolutely take that year for the next Zelda game. I mean, we get one of those every six, seven years. Those are event releases. So when it comes to that, Nintendo would spend a little bit of extra budget. But uh, again, just because they have so many games and so many teams working on stuff, they can afford to they can afford to fight the war on several fronts. And yeah, as far as like gaming being a bubble, what are what are your thoughts on that? Because I mean, just listening from you talk, like it is very scary in the direction that we're going but it is. does that can it be fixed oh absolutely and and it will and we're already seeing the ship riding itself unfortunately we're seeing some very severe short-term negative effects and those are the the job layoffs but a lot of these developers a lot of these companies are kind of reconsolidating a bunch of things they're very strongly reassessing what their priorities are they're very strongly reassessing their, you know, their position moving into the future. And we saw, you know, Sega, you know, come out and announce five brand new retro IPs are coming back over the next couple of years. Mm -hmm. So that to me very clearly says that Sega as a company 
had some pretty strong come to Jesus moments over the past couple of years in terms of what they want to achieve as a company, what they think they can achieve as a company and what they want their identity to be going forward. We saw this with Activision, as I mentioned previously, in terms of scaling back the size of their experiences. But ultimately, yeah, AAA gaming is the only place where you can get those big cinematic set piece moments like you're talking about. You know, the the train from Uncharted, you know, the stuff from Spider-Man 2, like he was talking about. AAA games are the developer are the experiences that are, are that are going to deliver that. Companies just need to find a way to, you know, they need to find a more happy medium in terms of the budgetary concerns and in terms of you know, trying to provide the best gaming experience that they can uh, while trying to find a profit model that works for them. Now, one of the things that game companies, game publishers have been doing this entire time is, you know, we mentioned about the number of games that have sold 4 million on individual consoles. That's why most games come out on multiple consoles is to try to, you know, expand uh, their sales as much as possible. But just in terms of it being a bubble, I do think it is a bubble, but it is a very, very large, gorgeous, diverse bubble where a lot of different things can exist. Gaming is is a landscape where you can see those incredibly creative, incredibly innovative ideas at the indie scale. Like we love indie games over at All In. You guys know mm-hmm. that. Uh, mm-hmm. So many of the most interesting ideas within the industry are coming from the indie scene these days. But unfortunately, the team behind Cobalt Core is not going to be able to make the same type of experience that the team over at Insomniac can do with right. you know Spider-Man. There is absolutely room within this world. You know, the town is big enough for both of us, but for a lot of the the big developers and the big publishers right now, this is going to this is a time of reckoning. We're seeing that again in real time over these past couple of years with so many big AAA companies realizing that uh, that they're outpacing the hardware with their wallets. And I do think, unfortunately, I do think that throughout the rest of 2024, I think we will continue to see large numbers of layoffs. It would not surprise me if that number actually went up and was even larger than 2023's number. Uh, and I do feel for everybody who has or is probably going to be laid off. And I hope they all wind up on their feet because there are so many incredibly talented, so many incredibly talented people out there that deserve to work within this space. Uh, But as bigger companies are restructuring and trying to find themselves uh, within, you know, the AAA space of 2024 and what creating a AAA game takes anymore uh, we're going to see, I think, a lot more restructuring, a lot more, uh, I guess, ultimately, at the end of the day, I think we're just going to see a lot more compromise. Yeah, I, yeah. I think you had, you know, you had mentioned Assassin's Creed, the new one, Mirage. Yep. I believe was the fastest selling Assassin's Creed for like a long, I forget since when, but it was... Like the fastest selling in a long time, and that's because it was it was a uh, lower cost to the consumer. I think it was fifty dollars at launch. So I think we'll see more of those type of experiences. Like even Prince of Persia that that is coming out this week, like that's a fifty dollar game. That's not, uh, and I, I'm assuming that budget's not big. I mean, I, who knows? 
and I know they also had the Avatar game come out in December, which I don't think it performed that well. So they're probably going to lean more into these smaller experiences that uh, will cost the consumer less and then also cost less for them as well to make. Yeah. Now, for the companies like Nintendo, like Bethesda, like Activision Blizzard that can sustain those mini irons in the fire, you will see a lot of them, you know, come out with uh, with AAA game. But they're always going to be working on the next big marquee release. They're always going to have the next Tears of the Kingdom, the next Starfield waiting in the wings for those bigger companies. You know, mm-hmm. they'll have incredible experiences come out in the interim, but... You know, that idea, that want, that desire to still make the greatest gaming experience of all time, that's still there. Everybody still wants to put their best foot forward, but being able to do that in 2024 is becoming a lot more complicated of an issue at the AAA level. And you could see that because the publishers release one game, like PlayStation releases one major game a year, essentially. We had Spider-Man last year. Uh, we had, if you had God of War was the year before, or Horizon. They only do like one big title a year, and then they get supplemented by all of the other third-party games. But I'll and, tell you one thing that could very well happen is the fewer AAA games that come out just puts more of a focus on indie titles. So you could see kind of a paradigm shift of, indie games kind of taking over a bigger market share of the industry over AAA experiences. I mean, who knows? I mean, I, I hope so, but do you think that the audience that is wanting to play AAA games is going to play an indie game and not in I'm just trying to get in their shoes, maybe possibly that they think that it's a downgrade and a lesser experience and it's not going to be as good as maybe a game that they you know we're really looking forward to as the next like last of us or god of war or whatever that triple a game is like do you see that kind of audience playing indie games and i'm not just talking about like gamers that are in the gaming space but just the casuals i mean there are going to be those people that just it's never going to be for them and i mean Mm -hmm. that's okay you know play what you enjoy but I, I do think you will see by uh, larger and larger numbers of people because indie games have also become a lot more, a lot bigger part of the conversation over mm-hmm. the past few years. They've been getting a lot of exposure at big events, uh, you know, like the the E3, the July, uh, the June and July timeframe, big uh, marquee showcase events. They've been getting a lot of uh, exposure and a lot of uh, talking point time at stuff like the Game Awards, Summer Games Fest. And a lot of people are much more aware of the indie side of things than than they used to be. And I think you'll slowly but surely start to move casual gamers uh, over to more indie experiences, especially since indie experiences, while still not on the level necessarily of the AAA, indie games by themselves have become so much more sophisticated Mm -hmm. over the past several years that, you know, they can even though they're not necessarily on the same level, they can still provide at least a facsimile of some of the experiences that people can get from the AAA releases. And the indie side of things is just going to continue to get more and more sophisticated as time goes on. Uh, So, you know, for some people, 
indie thing, indie games are just not going to be their thing. But more and more, as more indie games come out, as more indie games are marketed, as more information is put out, you are going to see some people just say, you know what, I'll check this one out. And they'll pop the game in. They'll pop. They'll download the game. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, they'll find, it's like, oh, there actually is something to this indie space. I remember exactly the moment when it happened for me. It was on my Xbox 360, and it was a little $1 game called I Made a Game with Zombies in it. <laughs> yeah, I think my I think my first indie game that I can remember is Shovel Knight. Well, like that I I backed out on Kickstarter, and I love that game. And that just yeah. made me want to play other indie games. Yeah, it's amazing. Shovel Knight's fantastic. There's so many genuinely amazing indie games out there that they will start to, I believe they will start to entice more and more people over to the indie side of things because the casual gaming market is an incredibly large portion of the gaming landscape. There are a lot of people that will only pick up, you know, the new Spider-Man that will only pick up the newest Madden or the newest call of duty. Uh, So for those people, you know, maybe having Madden or call of duty, move to you know bi-yearly releases maybe that would actually help but uh, I, I think that's a conversation for another day but <laughs> regardless the the industry there's way too much money flowing through the industry for it to just simply collapse somebody mm-hmm. is going to pick up the slack when it comes to the game sales somebody is going to pick up the slack when it comes to you know, the, the the amount of audience that the lack of AAA games, if that does happen, is leaving in its wake. The industry may morph, it may change, and unfortunately, some more people are probably going to lose their jobs because of it. But eventually, everything kind of will settle in to a new norm. We will find a new median, a new kind of even kilter with this industry once everything is said and done. Or... I mean, the gaming industry is so unique and so beautiful and this wonderful big caterpillar constantly turning into a big, beautiful butterfly. Maybe they'll just always be in a state of shift from now on. Maybe the rise of indie game. I mean, because the the rise of indie games came from this almost counterculture movement to, you know, just the the constant deluge of samey feeling AAA games. So maybe there'll be some weird counterculture you know, anti-indie game movement that continues to push the industry forward. That's one of the reasons I love video games is because the ongoing history of this industry is so ridiculously interesting to me. It's never not entertaining. It's never not interesting to talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I we, mean, I can at least think of like four indie games that I'm looking forward to this year that just have a huge impact because of their developers or the game before it you know like silk song is one of the biggest anticipated this year i don't know what you're talking about (laughs) no i'm not i'm just saying ah crawler you don't crawler if you're listening (laughs) silk song is not coming out this year i mean i hope it does i hope it does but but like it's crazy when you think that that is uh, or it was a team of four people i don't know if it still is and that's like one of the most anticipated indie games ever, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to the point I mean, where people are disappointed whenever it doesn't show up. That's well, when your game is not featured and that's the headline for most people, I think you're doing something right. Yeah. 
Yeah, but what were you gonna say, Johnny? Oh, I now I I play. Oh, so the industry has has always been changing. You know, we've mm -hmm. gone through uh, console developers that are no longer developing consoles. We've gone through. Uh, we there used to be double A games, and not you know it was in between. Well, it was triple yeah. A and then double A, which was you know lesser budgets, smaller games. And now that's kind of been replaced with with the indie games, so right. maybe maybe we see those double A's double A games kind of come back, uh, smaller experiences, smaller budgets, but not but not necessarily indie. Just yeah, yeah, not necessarily indie, but like you know the Klonoas, the Sphinx and the Cursed Mummies, the uh, the Scalers, you know <laughs> those games. Uh, mm -hmm. If you if any of you out there know any of the games I'm talking about, I love you by the way. Um, but yeah, well, I know I, Klonoa. Uh, I know that one. Yeah. The Fantasy Reverie series on the Nintendo Switch was was a really big, fun revisit for me last year. But uh, I would like to see a lot of those AA games come back as well because they were kind of like the indies of their day. A lot of them, a lot of them felt like real hidden gems, but you know, you felt like such a hipster whenever you found a good one. I was like, bro, you gotta check this game out. You <laughs> you think Mario Kart's good? Bro, check out Diddy Kong Racing, you know. <laughs> I, I do think Nintendo does have some games that are kind of double A, like Captain Toad. Like that's a that's not a very well known game. Uh and it's not to the scale of their triple A games. Well, it's, it's a, a different experience, but it's Nintendo games are, are they're always going to have that polish. They may mm -hmm. offer different experiences, uh, but just because of the you know the the level of like there's still a lot of budget going into to Captain Toad compared to other titles and especially compared to indie games. So it may not be their Zelda. But I personally would still consider Captain Toad a triple-A release. A very different You one. heard it here first. Captain Toad, triple-A. We need a sequel. We do. We absolutely need we a sequel. We do need a sequel. Yeah, that's one thing that Johnny and I will always agree on is that Captain Toad <laughs> is a great game. It's yeah. very underrated. More people need to play it. Yeah. All right. yeah. I'm this... still legitimately mad at Nintendo for not giving me a Captain Toad amiibo. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, and yeah especially... Especially they with had, Captain Toad being in the movie, you know. Also, like, they had we the, need more Captain Toad love. When Captain Toad came out on the Wii U, you could get it with to a Toad amiibo. So, like, why not just make that a Captain Toad? Yeah, I did see some really good custom Captain Toad amiibos when that game came out, though. I really almost hit up someone on Etsy, be like, "Here, can you can you Captain Toadify <laughs> my Toad amiibo, please?" But yeah, uh, Captain Toad sequel, yes, please and thank you, Nintendo. I would take that. There's a so, lot of games that I would buy those. So it's not really saying much. We got a specific question for Eric. I told I told uh, people on our Discord that you are a fan of fighting games. Oh yes. <laughs> so Noah's guy asks, "What have you seen positive happening to the fighting game scene now that the budgets are bigger? Any negatives?" Now before before you get into it, uh, I want to say my negative is paying ten dollars. For a fatality in Mortal yep. Kombat. Yep. Yeah, a lot of the microtransactions that I spoke about when we were talking about AAA sustainability, fighting games are a a massive, massive offender when it comes to those. Uh, the Street Fighter games alone, oh man, I think if you 
if you tally up like all the different transactions, if you paid full price for all the transactions in Street Fighter Five, I think, I mean, obviously you wouldn't pay this much, but if you for some reason decided that you hate money and wanted to pay full price for all the different add-ons, it would cost you several thousand dollars. You don't know uh, to me get too all. well. <laughs> <laughs> But yes, microtransactions and season passes and, and stuff like that, those the, the genre has really kind of fallen back on those to cover a lot of the upfront costs that are missing because, you know, again, games haven't really increased in price in the past 30, 35 years. So that's why we see all of those. I'm not saying that I think that WB... Uh, the company that produces Mortal Kombat or that Capcom are going to be going bankrupt anytime soon. But at the end of the day, for the people making the monetary decisions for the accounting departments, for the people with the checkbooks, you know, they don't see them as games. They don't see them as creative passion projects. They don't see the people working behind them. They see them as assets that need to bring in revenue. And how do we do that? So yeah, you never you never to, know with the WB because WB could cut your cut ties yeah. with anything at any time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, WB has multiverses. WB obviously they own NetherRealm Studios, the makers of both the Injustice series and the Mortal Kombat series, obviously. Uh, so yeah, we've we're, we're starting to see that like terribly permeate the 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 fighting uh, the fighting game landscape and i really wish that i could offer a solution for how video game developers and publishers could start to better cover overhead costs how they could make more money without making people feel like they're being fleeced without people being like without people feeling like they're being cheated because i don't know it's it's a hard thing to say you know you got video game developers like we spent 300 million on this thing. Could you just spend $5 extra on a skin just to help us out? Mm-hmm. But you know, you do have people saying, listen, I've only got so much disposable income. I work two jobs. I've got to pay rent. You know, I've already paid $60 for your game. I don't want to have to pay $10 more every time I want to do something even remotely new in it. I do get both of those. I do get both of those sides. And unfortunately, I think that's not going to change until there's a massive governmental overhaul, increasing the uh, increasing the living wage and all that stuff. But that's so far removed from what we're talking about. But at the end of the day, people want to get the most out of their money and video game developers and publishers want to try to be able to cover their incredible overhead costs. So for the foreseeable future, stuff like this is still going to happen. Microtransactions and season passes and DLC and new editions of games. Those are just going to be things we are going to continue to see, especially within the fighting game landscape for frankly years to come. But if I ever come up with the golden plan that will make everybody happy, I will make sure to let you guys know. And we Uh, will have you back on (laughs) because we want to hear you talk about it. And I will have the PowerPoint up on this TV behind me. I will go step by step, line by line, bullet point by bullet point on how everybody can be happy. But yeah, until I think, that I think happens. It, I think it's hard for people to understand that if you want this game to be free, like, this free to play games like Fortnite, yeah. if you want Fortnite to be free, you have to have micro, you have to have some type of monetary option 
Uh, it doesn't mean that you have to spend money on it. You don't have to spend any extra yeah. money on it. Uh, it's, for Fortnite, it's mostly cosmetic stuff. Mm-hmm. I didn't like how I didn't. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't like how Mortal Kombat's was like fatalities, where you had to pay for fatalities. Yeah, which used to be something that you would unlock in a game. But I do understand. Yeah. I, I understand why they need these microtransactions. I know it's really hard for people to hear. But once you see these budgets and once you see how much these games cost to make, like they need some type of mechanic to make that money back. And unfortunately, microtransactions is what where they're at right now. Like I think Madden makes most of their money on the on the packs on the yeah yeah. The that's fo- why a lot of the that's a that's a fantastic point. So many of the sports franchises have gone to this uh, you know this kind of card base. You know you open up these card packs to unlock these these athletes that you can use for your your all madden team or or whatever it is for your your sports game of choice and having these i mean they're loot boxes they're effectively loot boxes and having that mechanic is a big way that that uh that those games are subsidizing their budgets as well i know there was that big court ruling that came down in holland or sweden i think where the official government of the country actually declared loot boxes as gambling. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really put a kibosh on a lot of stuff, despite the fact that, you know, that part of the world isn't necessarily the biggest, um, the the biggest uh, audience in terms of sheer numbers, but just the domino effect that, that could have potentially had, I know moved a lot of developers and publishers away from those types of practices but, you know, they're always on the hunt looking for ways that they can continue to generate revenue. That's why we're starting to see ads show up in games. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, they've, from their, from their perspectives, like, like we, we've got to make, like, we would love to give you all of these games that you want, but we do have to keep the lights on. We do have to pay all the people making these games. And, you know, occasionally we'd also like to buy ourselves something pretty. Yeah, of course, that's you, from, you know, a grunt level. Of course, all the CEOs have a thousand different yeah, ways yeah. to make money outside of the games industry. And and I'm not worried about them whatsoever. Yeah. But when you were talking about like how we do see like we're seeing ads in our games, I yep. forget which NBA 2K it is, but they put Jake from State Farm in the game and he's got like a speaking dialogue and it's. Mm-hmm. It's just so weird. And like yep. you get it because gaming is the biggest like entertainment yep. medium right now. And we we talked a lot about movies last week and how that is becoming the new norm. And that is probably going to get oversaturated. And uh, I'm assuming that the money that they make from those games or from those movies is going to go towards the games. And but that means that they have to have a bigger budget for these movies. Yep. It's just, that's, I don't know. There's just so much on the line. There's also so much good that could come out of it just from an entertainment standpoint. You should watch Toys That Made Us. Such a fascinating show. I've seen movies that made us, so I just need to get around to Toys That Made Us. Yep. Yeah, I think Toys That Made Us would make more sense for what what I'm about to, to talk about. So... Okay. So take Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, for example. Those TV shows, the TV shows of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were only there to advertise the toys. Yep. And that's what these adaptations hmm. are trying to do. So we saw that the we saw that the Mario games 
increase their sales once the Super Mario Bros. movie came out. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. I, well, actually, I think The Last of Us did become like the top selling game on Amazon when that came out. And Halo, people returned their copies when that season came out. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, the whole no, yeah the whole point of yeah. these adaptations are to broaden to expand their brand and to yeah. get more people to buy the games yeah yeah, yeah that's I, the whole that point was, of cross promotion that's yeah, literally that's a, the whole point of cross promotion a big thing that nintendo said or has recently said is that they want more people to recognize their ip so if they have to get it in front of uh theme parks or movies or, you know, we got those Pikmin shorts. Um, they're doing collabs with pretty much not everyone, but, you know, they have Lego and some clothing brands and uh, like Baskin Robbins and Cold Stone. So Mercedes. I get Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. For I mean, for Mario Kart. Yeah. Well, that that I hope the next I Mario Kart. I hope the next Mario Kart's just like a Fast and Furious crossover. <laughs> <laughs> drive a Dodge Charger. And it's all about family. Yeah, it's all about family. Yeah. I actually pitched Mario Kart 9 on the show. It's uh uh portals, essentially. Every oh, lap nice. is on a different track. That would oh. be cool. That would be cool. Yeah. I don't know. I just yeah, that's I just want a new Mario Kart. I don't care what it, I don't care what it is. But Mario Kart's actually another great example of what we've been talking about this entire time. Uh the you know, DLC and additional content, Nintendo hasn't had to develop a brand new game. They basically just created more content for Mario Kart 8 Deluxe and mm-hmm. throughout the course of two years sold it to us as part of the booster course pass. That was a greatly decreased budget from creating Mario Kart 9. What would have, what would have been Mario Kart 9? But essentially what we wound up getting was you know, a double-sized jumbo-packed version of what I believe is the best arcade racer ever made. So, I mean, it's it's hard to argue against what we got. I do absolutely understand the people that would love to see Mario Kart 9, but with the amount of money, with the amount of development budget it would take versus cannibalizing the best-selling game on the console, there is zero, even to this day, even that... Even now that the booster course pass has finished, I still think Nintendo, for at least right now, still has zero financial incentive to begin development on Mario Kart Nine. But I might be wrong. We'll see. To begin development? Yeah, that's you don't think crazy. they've been working on it for ten years? They've been <laughs> they they may have a few concepts. I'm sure they've got some ideas. They're always thinking about it. But that they, game's coming out this year. What are you talking about? Hey, you, hold on. Right. you think All it's right. coming out this year? All it's, right. it's, it's coming. Clip it's coming out Clip when that. the new console comes out. It will be a launch. It might not be a launch title, but it will be a launch window for the new console. Because I, under, I, I get what you're saying. I understand why they wouldn't want to put it on the Switch because there's really no need for it at this point. But yeah. if you get the the Mario Kart, a new Mario Kart on the next platform as soon as possible, that's going to sell consoles no matter mm. what. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. We'll have to have to come back to this episode when that happens. In September of 2024. Because, uh... <laughs> According to uh, Game Shark, right? Yeah, AI Shark. It's AI Shark yeah, now. Yeah, AI Shark. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
No, we had this whole conversation on the Nintendo Powercast, and Cheesy would not agree agree with me that that is a correct leak, and it's coming out September 2024. We don't know that. It's one hundred percent happening. It's not official from it's Nintendo. It's one hundred percent. It's just like just We've like had... we're getting a Nintendo Direct in February. It's not official, but we know it's happening. Yeah, but that is more reliable than these like sources that are coming through. Nintendo this is Switch an actual 2, developer, though. Nintendo like it's a developer 2? of a. Uh... Come on, man. That's so easy for them right now to just mention anything Nintendo Switch 2 related because now people know of AI Shark. Like, yeah, they knew Game Shark, but now that they're AI Shark, I mean, that's a, that's all branding. Nintendo Switch 2 has been trending every day. Game since Shark would have it would have been New Year, Johnny. It would have been trending. No, like Game if Game Shark was like, hey, we used to be Game Shark. Like that's going to be trending. They didn't need the Nintendo Switch 2. I don't know. I do agree with you, Cheesy. I think that uh, Seth actually made this point as well, that just simply by them having this quote-unquote Switch 2 leak in their little press release got them so much more coverage than they probably would have otherwise. Uh, I did have to wonder if that was just a shrewd, a very shrewd marketing team move on their end. And again, that was uh, that, that was a point specifically made by my co-host. That'd be yeah, a I... very... Uh... That would be a pretty if if they're trying to get it onto the Nintendo Switch 2 or whatever's next. Like that'd be a pretty bold move to just be like oh yeah, we're we're just going to say fake information. Like Nintendo will not allow them anywhere. Well, that's a company them anyway if they that, did That's leak a company it. that's never had to deal directly with the hardware manufacturers in order to sell their products. Even when they were Game Shark, even when they were selling their their you know their products for the older consoles, they never had to deal directly with the hardware manufacturers. And I'm sure whatever product, however they're going to be marketing, this one's going to be the same way. They're not going to have to deal directly with Nintendo, so they probably wouldn't see any ramifications for false leaks, regardless of you know what headlines they generate. I do think, well, Nintendo doesn't need to reveal. Nintendo Switch 2. It's trending every single day. It doesn't yeah. need to do anything. So they're exactly where they want to be. It's coming out this year and it will be fine. They could shadow right. drop it and it will it will sell out. <laughs> a shadow yeah. drop console. Dreamcast. Dreamcast it. That worked out really well for <laughs> Dreamcast. I love the Dreamcast. But yeah, on that note, um, I don't know. I mean, just as far as AAA gaming, I'm not going to try to like repeat myself of what I said last week. I do think that it's in a scary state. Uh, and just listening to Eric talk about AAA gaming, like it's not looking good. But maybe not, that is all right. just. So when you say scary, when you say scary, yeah. like that means something completely different to me than what I think. What you think, you like mean. Boogeyman or because something, like, or what? Like, it's 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 video games. Like they're not. It's not scary. Yeah, but it's an art form. And but like, they're not going anywhere. It, they're gonna okay, change. But, yeah, I agree with that. And I'm not trying to like be Martin Scorsese here and say like, oh, cinema has changed so much, and I don't like it. But like, let's be honest. Like movies have changed, and now they are. Uh, they're more on streaming. I mean, people barely go to the theaters anymore. I want to you know, the movies like, on Friday. Think... Well, think about it this way, guys. I think this is a much more exciting way to look at it. 
Video games have been around for long enough at this point that just like any other art form, it's about to go, it's more than likely about to go into a new era as paintings have gone through there, the Impressionist and the, the neoclassicism and, and whatever eras, you know, and French nepotism or whatever types of, uh, you know, different uh, artistic eras that paintings and books and films have gone through. We're just more than likely about to enter a different era of video games. So I think we being at the forefront of this new era should just go ahead and name it. I, I think <laughs> that we should name it, uh, the all in Eric era of <laughs> gaming. Uh, just, I think that's a good name for this upcoming yeah, era, pretty... not to self promote yeah. or anything, but I just, I feel like it really rolls off the tongue. So I just, the, I, I postulate all those that. in favor. I, I nice motion right. is passed. Uh, somebody get on the con. Somebody get on the the horn with Microsoft, Xbox, and PlayStation. <laughs> we well, I so said Microsoft, Xbox, Nintendo, Microsoft, and and Sony. This uh, <laughs> this Thursday, we're gonna see Microsoft what they have. Do you think they show any? Do you think they announce them putting their games on other consoles? That's been a very real possibility for a very long time because, and this is another thing that my co-host has pointed out several times, is Microsoft is honestly moving more away from being a hardware developer so much as a platform developer. I think we may see Microsoft prioritize Game Pass over Xbox. Um, I don't know how and when that's going to happen, but just the way that streaming services have taken over the way that most of us most of us watch television, Microsoft may be envisioning that kind of future for themselves within the gaming landscape. That may be their way forward. So who knows? I do, at the end of the day, I just hope that we continue to get, you know, the incredible handcrafted, passion-filled experiences that we've gotten that have made me such a fan of this industry the entire time. And very quickly, I didn't completely answer that fighting game question. We talked about the microtransactions, but I will say from a positive standpoint, because we, oops, sorry, because we do love to be positive at all in, um, the, the, the explosion of the indie fighting game scene has been really, really cool to see a lot of really interesting ideas being cultivated there. I follow uh, a Twitter feed called Indie Fighting Games, and they're constantly featuring really interesting, really cool new games coming out within the landscape. And the the acceptance of fighting games at kind of the world stage, Evo and Capcom Cup and you know all of these other massive world broadcast events and tournaments and tours is all like they just there's more hype than ever before and you know you got people like max and ignan rizzi and, and all these really great streamers out there continuing to spread the good word i think fighting games are in a much better place than they ever have been from not necessarily from a microtransaction point of view but just in terms of the state of the, the genre, something that I absolutely couldn't say in the mid-2000s before Street Fighter 4 came out. 
but you know there's so many really cool new games coming out obviously we just got a brand new street fighter we're just about to get a brand new tekken and i could not be more excited i've been so excited the past few months about fighting games that i've probably bought like 15 different fighting games over the past just month or so over the past month 15 different fighting games yeah i rebought injustice one and two uh (laughs) i rebought mortal kombat x uh king of fighters 14 king of fighters 2002 unlimited match king of fighters 1998 ultimate match the uh the art of fighting anthology uh fight of gods and, and, and several others but i've been playing the, the industry and the genre have been, it's so exciting these days. I've just been playing so many of them. As a matter of fact, we just started a, a brand new fighting game centric YouTube, uh, weekly YouTube drop on All In Media called Quarter Circle Forward that I host. So, matter of fact, I like new that name. That's that, a good name. Yeah. I just got a new logo for We're doing a, a YouTube intro and everything. It's cool. So, uh, so I do that weekly on, on All In Media now as well. So, yes, I am a big fighting game nut. I. I just wanted I'm to doing, go back and finish answering that question. Sorry. I'm, I'm doing exclusive Mortal Kombat 1 on Nintendo Switch content. That's all <laughs> I'm doing now. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's certainly a lot to be gleaned from that game on the Nintendo Switch. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that, that is certainly one of the games of all time on the Nintendo Switch. <laughs> well, we are a little bit over an hour, so I think we'll... That's you got anything else cheesy? I think that's all I got. <laughs> no, man. But uh, Eric, thank you so much for being on the show. It's long overdue. I mean, you honestly probably have one of the greatest voices for gaming, like podcast, just podcasts in general. Your voice is amazing, and you just have so much face to match. In- it's <laughs> so much insight. Well, face for podcasting, really, really. Yeah, we used to we- call it a face for radio. We made that joke. We made that joke last week. Not oh man, not for you, but like I forget what we were. Oh, it was Johnny and I. We were like, yeah, just watch the YouTube video, subscribe, and you know, you don't have to watch us. We know that we have faces for radio, but then we were like, do people know what a radio is anymore? No, Um, I mean cheesy. I mean, you're a good looking kid. I I can imagine that your face is probably going to fill out. I'm sure once you hit puberty, but I mean, you look fine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe one day. (laughs) but honestly guys thank you for having me on the show had a lot of fun uh i i really had quite a few thoughts on this topic i'm sure as you've heard so i really appreciate you you letting me uh you giving me this uh this uh way to get them out no we appreciate that because you're much more intelligent than we are and you put your thoughts into words good yep see (laughs) But yeah, thanks but, thanks for being on. We actually we do want to do an indie game show soon, and uh, it would be cool to bring on like you and Seth yeah. to talk about indie games because I I honestly think that you guys are the most deserving of you know that guest appearance. Well, I can promise you that Seth and I can certainly talk about indie games for a long time. <laughs> well, where can people find you? Well, you can absolutely find us on Spotify, on, on iTunes, on wherever you get your podcasts from, all in, capital N, all in, a Nintendo podcast, like all Nintendo, go figure. You can also find us on Twitter at 
All In Podcast on YouTube at All In. I think it's still at All In Podcast, but the it's YouTube.com slash All In Podcast. We've got a Patreon. We've got, uh, again, Facebook and Twitter. Come over, join our amazing Discord community. We would love to have you over there. We are just uh, a couple old Nintendo fans just trying to make the best content we possibly can. We love to talk about uh, indie games and we love to talk. We do top fives, like I said, retrospectives. We do all kinds of stuff over there and we, we would love for you to be a part of it. Right on. Johnny, where can people find you? I'm Johnny Evo everywhere Twitter, Twitch, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, and the Nintendo Podcast. And you can find me on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, threads. I'll throw it out there. It's, it, you know, <laughs> It's dead right now, but that means that there's uh, real estate, right? So, uh, and the Nintendo PowerCast, Cheesy-C64-C-H-E-E-Z-Y-C-64. Eric, now, thank you, you again for being on. Yeah, thanks. Sorry, I cut you off. Now, if you made it this far, you are the real ones. We forgot to do this at the top of the show, but we are changing the posting date of the episodes. They're going to be on Wednesdays now. As opposed to Tuesdays, Tuesdays. But if you do want the the show on Tuesday, join the Patreon. We're going to be doing early releases a day early. Uh, that's the main reason why we're changing it, pretty much, because I feel like our patrons have never have not gotten early access, but we want to give it to them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. the most important information that we should have gave at the <laughs> beginning of the show really should tell you what communication error is like. Yeah. Yeah, well, and if you subscribe to the highest tier of their Patreon, you can actually get it Monday afternoon. You can actually get it before they record it. I actually send it to you <laughs> in the mail. Personalized <laughs> note. Way Netflix used to do it. <laughs> well, thanks for listening, everybody. Check everything out.